the Pro Tools Expert podcast with James Ivey, Julian Rogers, and Alan Salabank. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Pro Tools Expert podcast number 340. It's the 8th of October 2018. My name's James Ivey. I'm Julian Rogers. And I'm Alan Salabank. Michael Carnes from Exponential Audio has very kindly shared another tip that works in the second generation Exponential Audio plugins. That would be Nimbus R4, Stratus and Symphony, which have a set of controls at the bottom of the tail page. These controls operate the tail suppression circuit. This is useful in many different ways, and we will have the tip in full in the podcast notes showing how tail suppression can work on drums, which by their very nature have strong transients. These give a sense of presence, but they can also cause a sort of splash into the reverb. Tail suppression can tame that problem with absolutely no hint of pumping. We also have a podcast-exclusive deal from Exponential Audio, but you'll have to wait a while to hear about it. Alan, tell me about them deals. Yeah, so this month's featured deal is from Leapwing Audio. And so until 31st of October, you can get 20% off their Center One Spatial plugin and Dyne One Parallel Multiband Dynamics Processor, making them just over £143 each, including VAT. Also, don't miss Julian's excellent tutorial on how to get the best results from your Dyne One plugin if you're lucky enough to buy one or already own one. And don't forget to check out the deals from our partners on our deals page. Highlights include Isotope, including ISO introductory prices on RX7, Insight 2 and their new post-production suite and Avid and Audient are both offering special discounts for students. Great stuff. So let's dive into some talking points and these are sponsored by our friends at Universal Audio. Over to you, Fab. Good morning, children. This is Fab DuPont. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast talking points are brought to you with the support of Universal Audio. Do you have some chinks in your Universal Audio UAD2 plug-in armor? Right now, the team at UA are offering you the chance to build your own custom plug-in bundles of three, six, or ten plugins from one low price and save over 60%. Just pick your bundle option, then choose your plugins. It's that simple. You can find out more in the link down there in the podcast notes. So, talking point number one, and it's confession time, boys. Uh, Dan wrote a piece called Studio Bad Habits. Do you leave your monitors on overnight or when you finish work for the day? Um, I was the person he was talking to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I thought it might be quite interesting off the back of Dan's article um, about one of his bad studio habits. I don't think it's a bad habit at all. Um, To talk about some of our bad habits and maybe even counteract that with some of our best practices um we all work in very different environments in very different ways so um this could hmm, who knows spark some moments of genius and insight for us all julian do you want to go first i don't leave my monitors on i never leave my monitors on um there is a reason for that and i think this might be a significant difference between my studio and your studio and that's that my one of my basic criteria for setting out any space is that if if there's any way I can possibly do it, I keep space so that I can walk around the back of my <laughs> stuff, not yeah, crawl I'd under like the cable, not crawl under the table or grovel about or any kind of that stuff, but actually walk. And I've got a good, I don't know, five feet 
between you know the the back of my monitors and the uh, uh, and the back wall, maybe slightly more. Actually, That's I've just never showing measured. off. It, it, well, hmm. it's it's a useful space that I use <clears> for various things, and I've kind of I can drop down. I've got a little bit of treatment on the wall that I can drop down, and it's like a blank wall that I can shoot video against, and it's it's a used space, but it is by design, just because I value that so much. Because you know, do as you will. You, you doesn't matter how you cable stuff, you're going to change it probably in a few minutes. You know, it's just how it is. <laughs> yeah. Every you know. few minutes yeah, in my totally. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, those, you know, those kind of, um, uh, uh, bendy plastic tubes with the kind of fold over teeth, cable yeah, like tidy things exactly, yeah, yeah, that yeah, you like can those, push yeah. your cables into. And they do I've, my IKEA and places like Yeah. That. I've got a couple of those still in the bags that I was given. They're staying in the bags. They're never coming out. They are of no use to me whatsoever. Just because you know they have li- one use. What's that? In my opinion, uh, and that is for keeping cables that go to certain things together, like for example, monitors. Okay. In my case, my right. monitors are active, and I I bind the power and the signal together. Just because yeah. it makes the makes sense makes it a bit neater, and I know. If it does fall off the back, I know which cables are my monitor cables. Fair enough. Fair enough. But so there you go. That is a good tip. Although, um, I, there's a big part of me that says run power and, uh, and signal cables separately because of inductance, which isn't something we can always do, but it is... Huh. It's it's a thing that I, I from my live sound days. It's kind of like you know, run power down one side of stage, run signal down the other, and all that kind of thing, which is a is a luxury you don't always get, and is kind of probably irrelevant these days because who cares about inductance onto a Cat Six cable? But anyway, <laughs> there is that. Yeah, but anyway, back onto this stuff. I and I've got my little regime, and uh, when I when I finish work of an evening, uh, I I get up and I I power everything down apart from the computer which I leave on because I've got a scheduled backup, which runs and uh, mm-hmm. it can do that while it's snoozing. And also because basically I'm a bit of a, I'm a, I'm a bit lazy and I don't want to go through and make sure that everything that I've got open is saved. <laughs> and if you close <laughs> yep. the computer down, it's like, oh, do you want to save this? I don't know. What is it? Well, I was doing that this morning. I thought, you know, all that kind of stuff. But monitors go off, interfaces go off. And then I'm just leaving the room and then I notice that I've got the power supply for my preamp and it's still on and I have to go back into the room and turn it off every single night. But hmm. yeah, that's my regime. It's pretty simple, really. Everything goes off apart from the computer. Alan? Um, well, yeah, I, with monitors, if, you, if you've got a multi-channel setup, um, yeah, you basically have to multiply your monitor count by three at least maybe six if you've got the monitoring rig that i'm setting up so it's simply not practical to go around every monitor and switch it off especially if they're in a location where you can't easily get to the back of them either um so i've always rigged up you know these um remote control light switches with the four different channels on them they work beautifully for switching on groups of monitors so if I'm just working in stereo, I just have the left right on and then I can switch on the center and the sub and switch on the side surrounds and the rear surrounds and the tops it's completely nice, separately like on that. different on different channels. So that's um, – and I can do that all from the desk. Um, don't have to you know, trip up over any cables or anything like that. Um, I've just invested in some new studio furniture because I'm actually talking to you now from my new studio. Hooray, which, as you can probably hear, isn't – 
tr- fully acoustically treated yet, but um, so it's still a bit live. But uh, yeah, and all the new studio furniture has cable ducting down the back of it, which I'm going to totally take advantage of, but leave enough um, flex at the back of the monitors to be able to you know replace them with different monitors. Um, so uh, it, it, you know, just future proof like that. Um, I don't. I never turn off computers. Um, the monitors. If you're in a like a big film facility, and when the one we had, we had a THX installation, um, for a custom Dynaudio uh, Monroe Acoustics installation at the facility I was at in the early noughties, and it was a seven point four kilowatt rig. We're delivered through twenty one drivers behind the screen screen with eighteen inch twin eighteen inch subwoofers. Nice. And it was all fed by active crossovers and by um custom dyn audio amplifiers which were all DCA controlled. So <clears throat> we didn't um after having a couple of situations where after a power down the DCAs reset to their default settings, um, resulting in much swearing yeah and clasping of ears and writhing in pain um we we decided never to turn the uh turn turn the amp off and the amps off and similarly with the back end of the dfc console um it was probably an urban myth but that every time you power cycled it it put a spike through which took a day off the life of the dsps which are in the console certainly we found that if you did turn it off every night it did seem to shorten the life of the card so um, there's various reasons for not turning off that. Um, but in terms of best practice, um, it's, I come from an environment where we are what's nowadays called hot desking. So you're not always in your own studio one day to the next. Um, so if you're working in a facility, you have to absolutely reset everything back down. Um, if you've done any modifications as in plugged anything over or anything like that, you have to reset that, obviously, after having made a note of how you had it. The best thing is to not go outside of their normal workflow anyway as well. Um, if I'm doing a group record session of voices, like with uh, when I did for Walk on the Wild Side, where we had sort of about 10 mics up live with a bunch of comedians improvising on it, um, then obviously you the, have um, to get that set nighttime, up. Nighttime, daytime. Yes, and it's also the <laughs> Alan, Alan <laughs> sketch, which I recorded, yeah, <laughs> and was written in the room with me there. And yeah, okay, fair enough. But yeah, basic common sense, health and safety stuff. It's you know you have to if, when you're working in a um, communal environment, as you were, as you as it were, where other people are coming in, you have to leave the room as you found it. And if you haven't found it fully reset and strapped down, then you have to reset it. Or it's just being nice to other users of the same studio, in my opinion. I'm going to jump in on here with um, the, the back to the, the, just the, the opening thing about um, leaving monitors on. I mean, it's, it's possibly less of a thing than it was just because we've got Class D active active monitors a lot these days. You know, the high-end people are still mm. using Class AB, but there's an awful lot of Class D out there. And there's, and there's nothing wrong with Class D these days. Um, but um, and quite a few of them have a sleep mode as well, which, you know, they, they, they'll switch on automatically. Kind of like, you know, the, 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 the modern Genelex and stuff will wake themselves up from a low-power mode when they get something at the input. 
But it still kind of concerns me leaving just leaving live speakers because of pops. And this yeah. is a lot of this come, is is from me uh, coming from an educational setting where people if something bad can happen, then it, it's just going to, and you know, it's going to happen straight away <laughs> and it's probably well, going to hurt someone where, terribly and it'll be your fault. So this, this is where having a separate monitor controller is actually a distinct advantage. Absolutely. This well. is where I was going with, with um, something that's a really nice thing to have is a monitor controller that when it's powered up, powers up in mute. Yeah. And some of them do. And those ones, it's a, it's a, it's a feature that, you know, manufacturers should shout about just because, you know, it's kind of like absolutely everything should do that. It's just why wouldn't you want that to happen? My um, home cinema's amplifier's got a great setting in that you can set the default power on volume level. Yeah. And that's brilliant. That that's is really, handy. really handy. Yeah. And I think it's a feature that everyone horrible should have surprises. a standard. This yeah. is this is actually where 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 <laughs> um gain structure crosses over into into consumer land. If you sort of mean, because because most people don't need to worry about gain structure. It's it's kind of like you know the signal chains tend not to be long enough or adjustable enough for gain structure to necessarily impinge on most people's everyday experience until they start connecting multiple bits of home cinema together, <laughs> and then suddenly it matters an awful lot. Especially that thing in the kind of external audio system setting on your telly where you've got fixed or variable and people are scratching their heads and it's like, mm, think think carefully, you know, this is how it starts. Anyway, what I want is I want a I want a, I want a distro UPS come distro. They already exist. I want one that's sequenced. It they exist. exist. They, they tend to be exist. quite pricey. Uh, emo do one. They do. They do. It, it's mainly for the live environment. Yeah, absolutely. So, mostly so, for mostly for amplifiers because this is where you want to sequence a power on thing is when you're switching yeah. on power amps because they do tend to like grab a load of current and they can trip stuff. But I'm not sure finished yet. The last thing I want is I want an IP controllable sequenced distro. That would be wow. a beautiful thing. And I, t- I tell you what, I mean, I think the demands out there. I really do for something that isn't super specialist IT equipment, but just something where you can program a switch on sequence and what gets switched on and what stays live and stuff so you can connect everything up to the distro. But you can just, from your phone or something, just or sequence so that you can get it to power off every night at, you know. Well, I'm thinking because I want to do this with one of these sort of Nest-style systems Mm. so that if I leave the studio and forget to turn the monitors off, I can just dial into it and turn it all off. And even turn you off can the connect it to your to your uh, burglar alarm, and then you can fire up the computer and get it to play a a specially prepared recording of loud, aggressive Dobermans. <laughs> <laughs> you see where I'm going with this? Sorry, Alan. Carry on. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that I think the tech is absolutely out there. Um, in terms of UPSs. Certainly, you can already network control those, and basically, you can set them up so that when the power is interrupted, they send a signal out over the network to tell all the attached computers, listening computers, or your NAS system or your server, to shut down safely. Um, so, so that's, that's a sequence shutdown. That's a yeah. Basically, it, it, it notifies any machines that are connected over the network or by USB 
Mm. You've I mean, lost power. Actually, you make a good point because anybody amount. with anybody <clears throat> with a reasonable amount of networking knowledge and kind of you know who who isn't mm. scared of a bit of uh, bit of IT could could build exactly what I just described. I'd like something aimed aimed at kind of studio users where it's kind of nice, friendly, self-contained, look like that. What do you want? How do you want it to happen? You know, something something that 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 isn't going to waste an afternoon of mine setting it up. It's kind of like nice and simple. But also something something that maybe soft powers on as well, but not something that just throws a set of cheap relays and spikes through the mains. Well, it's funny because I, I, while you've been um, designing your next system, Julian, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've just been looking at the, the emo website. That's nothing to do with I very know. depressing rock music. Um, oh. And they do still exist. They, they are still made. They're not cheap. Um, the most expensive shop in the world uh, is doing them for 595 quid. For I think a, I know the shop you refer to. So yeah, okay. I'm not going to say the name. Um, no, but that's enough for me to be able to go straight there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and anybody else who doesn't know, then... That, can you hear that going straight over my head, darling? It's like whooshing noise it makes. But anyway. No, I know, um, I know exactly who he means, but it's okay. This is just because of a conversation we've had before, but they're not here to defend themselves. So They're not. Oh, so good. we're not going to say out loud, Capital Audio. Um, <laughs> but they do still exist, uh, but this is not a networked controlled device or anything like that. I'm sure you probably could do some clever jiggery and indeed pokery to make it networkable or do something to the signal path or something, but that that ain't me, that's for sure. Mm. <laughs> But still, nearly 600 quid for a thing just to switch everything on and off in the right order. Um, in the live environment, where we used to use them in holiday centres, because you didn't know who was going to be turning things on and off, and yeah. you couldn't trust um, a red coat, stroke blue coat, stroke whatever they were called that week, to turn things on and off in the right order. Um, we put these in to avoid, say, loud bangs and speakers and di- speaker diaphragms being sent halfway across the hall. Um but say not cheap. I didn't realise they were quite that expensive. Um, so let me share some of my, my my reasonings as well as my best practices, if I may. Um, my reason, it's funny you actually mentioned this, uh, Julian, about um, amplifiers. I lived for a, a little while with a guy who was an absolute hi-fi nut and had a really hmm. some really nice uh, name amplifiers. He had a name amplifier, a name pre, and some really nice CD stuff and some great speakers. And he swore blind, and I kind of agreed with him, that if he turned the amp off every night, the sound wouldn't be as good as if he left it on to cut, you know, to always stay warm and always kind of warm up properly. And I kind of agreed with him because it did sound better once we left it on. So that's kind of where I was going with my speaker choices and yes you are quite right um short of actually turning the power off to the whole to the building i can't get around the back of my desk to turn the speakers off because i just can't um short of growing another sort of three foot on my arms which is not going to happen anytime soon so there's my my excuse if you like but best practice stuff that i tend to do fairly i won't say religiously but certainly you know if i'm if i'm leaving the studio for a number of days i will always cover all the microphones because dust mm. and mics don't mix um so certainly large diaphragm condenser mics do not like getting dusty uh if you want to lose the top end on your mics quicker than anything else then then yeah leave them and let them get dusty 
Um, I also disconnect any external hard drives that aren't in use and pull any um, kind of cart-bound hard drives that aren't in use whenever they're not needed. They get piled up rather than left active to spin or do whatever drives do. Um, purely because they draw more juice and why put extra strain on any spinning disks or anything like that? I'm not mm. entirely switched over to SSDs. Most of my work drives are SSDs, but I'm not entirely switched over to that technology just yet. Um, I am completely guilty of leaving cables everywhere because if I'm going from doing a session from day to the next, the only person who's going to come in here is me. Um, sadly, there is no cleaner because I could do with one. I could do with one who knows how to coil cables as well, but let's certainly not go down that rabbit hole of um, potential abuse. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I, I do... One of the things people are surprised about is I switch my console off. Because I can. Controversial. Probably the biggest the biggest drawer of electricity that I've got that I can switch off is the console. Um, and when I bought it, I said to the guys, "Could I? Can, I'm okay to switch this off every night, aren't I? And they said, yeah, of course you are. It's a modern power supply. It's not like mm. an old Neve or an old SSL, whereas if you turn it back on again, there's a fair chance it won't come back. Um, it's a brand new state-of-the-art technology-wise power supply. Um, it's not. We're not drawing massive amounts of current. It runs off a three-pin plug. Um, so my theory was just to be able to turn it off every night. Um, I think I think my, my thing with them, um, because, I mean, I hear people say, about leaving stuff on all the time. Big old consoles, totally special case. Mm. But, um, but, um, uh, along with the stuff, air conditioning plant that runs them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but, uh, and, and, and the polar bear on a rapidly diminishing block of ice floating in the Arctic. But that's yes. not, yeah. But, um, <laughs> the, the, uh, the thing with, I mean, you know how gear, gear breaks when you turn it back, when you turn it on. Not, exclusively but this is a very common time for things to to pop it's it's kind of like you know a thermal shock if you like of stuff going on and it's a very common time for things to break and it's, there's that business about thermal cycling which i mean i i don't know i don't know whether this has been improved on in recent years but certainly it certainly used to be the case and the kind of commonly accepted um thinking was that uh if you switch something off Switch it off if it's going to have time to to cool down to ambient, and then come back up again. But if you're not letting it cool down properly and it's going back on again, and that's I, I still work off that. If like I don't turn stuff off if I'm coming back to it in a bit, because it's not going to go through that full kind of cool down, warm up kind of sequence. Have, have you both heard of that? Definitely, I, I've had gear do that. I've had gear die on me that I've just oh I'll turn it off just for ten minutes and then you go oh I need it back. Turn it back on. Bang. And again, I don't know if there's any science to this, but I think if I turn things on with a certain degree of mechanical sympathy, if I'm nice to the switch, <laughs> and you all know, you, anyone out there is listening is probably going, he's right. Um, if you're nice to the switch and you turn something on in a sympathetic yet positive manner, I found things work better. If you just go, you know, randomly click, 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 click. That's where I think you have problems. Now, you could say, yes, it's because you're drawing too much current across the system and something's going to fall over 
yeah, whatever. I'm still a great believer of, you know, when you're switching something on, switch it on positively, give it a chance to do its thing. We all run super duper computers these days. Um, let's not talk about switching those off and things coming back on differently because that's just been a case since we've been using computers. You turn something off, you turn it on again, there's a fair chance for some reason whatsoever it won't come back. But yeah, any kind of vintage gear, if you're using it from, you're using it often, leave it on. Okay, um, non-power stuff. Have we got any other things? You, you mentioned cables. All right, I'll start us off. My studio space has um, exposed beams in it, which suit me down to the ground because um, all along those beams, I've got little kind of like inch and a half pins, you know, li- little small nails that I've just tapped in, and I've got cables hanging off all of them. So nice. my cables are very accessible and very quick and easy to get to. That's just because of this space. I went, I know, <laughs> and it works like a treat. Anyone else? And diffusion Cables as well. for me, um, my, I used to have them on, well, I suppose that they are, technically speaking, they're rack strip network hooks, you know, that sort of stuff you use in a server room to route your networking cables into and out of switches neatly. Uh, I got some when, I think when we stripped out Sibelius, um, or something was changing and I, I landed a couple. Um, but most of my cables these days... Um, or the, certainly the ones I use on a daily basis live on a boom mic stand um, where the boom is flicked into horizontal. The the clutch, if you like, is in the middle and then you can just hook cables over either end. As long as it balances out and you've got a fairly reasonable amount of tension, you've got a very, very useful um, cable hanger. Uh, the same as is long true as you in, need the, as long as you need those cables in the same in the reverse order to the, the, the yeah. But I normally have a couple of XLRs, a couple of jacks, and bits and pieces on there. You know, nothing buried too deep. I also use it in the live room for headphones. Same system for, ha- for hanging headphones on, so they're nice and neat and always accessible. Accessible, one hmm. of the two. Um, oh. And I've got another one. This is a friend of mine. I, sh- I showed him this and he started doing it as well. Um, because my studio's in, in a loft space, I've got a hatch down to yeah. down to the, the level below. If I want to uncoil a cable, I just chuck it down the hatch. <laughs> and it's like when you're at a venue and you, and, you, and you chuck it off the balcony to straighten it out before you call it back up and it hangs. And just, just what a joy. Everybody mm. needs a stairwell or similar in their studio, so you can just go like that, straightens out, hangs nice. Word of warning: up. do shout out, look out below. Funny you mention that because never mind. There is a XLRs, XLR connectors do hurt. They, they really do. Velocity. Yeah, you want to try yeah. hearting. I mean. <laughs> Speak ons as well are fairly weighty. Oh. <laughs> um, we would be very interested to hear any of your tips, tricks, best practice moments. Um, bad habits um, that you would like the rest of the community to avoid at all costs. So do please um, add your comments, as you always do, to the podcast article down there somewhere. So for now, gentlemen, let's park this and move on to competitions. This month, we've partnered with our friends at IK Multimedia to offer you three opportunities of winning a copy of IK Multimedia's Total Studio Max 2 music production bundle worth fractionally less than €1,200. The small but perfectly formed team at Puzzle Factory Sound Studios are giving the production expert community an exclusive chance to win one of two tickets for the next Mixed Direction Masterclass with mix engineer Dax Linier, which will be held on the 27th of October 2018 
Hurry, because the draw for this competition will take place on the 10th of October, so you have just a couple more days to click on the win page and sign up. And our friends at SX Pro Audio are celebrating their 10-year anniversary with a massive giveaway. Visit the SX Pro Audio website to enter for free and be in with a chance of winning one of these amazing studio prizes. But hurry, as this competition closes on October the 9th. That's tomorrow. Ta-da! Okay, um... So, Julian, you and I were fortunate enough to be asked to go and record the National Children's Choir of Great Britain recently. Uh, We rocked up at a beautiful venue called the Birmingham Town Hall. um, And there is an article on the site about the the method and the madness that was that day's recording. Um, It was was my gig. I I kind of landed it. I've been working with these guys for a couple of years now. Um, We also shot i think we had was it nine ten cameras in the end up um do you want to share obviously my side of the, of the story has very much been shared in the story julian do you want to share some of your experiences and stuff on that particular gig are you sure james <laughs> yes because i do say in the no, it's funny it's funny it, it was right okay this gig um uh james got in touch said do you want to go to Brum? Um, well, he would have said that if he if he if he was from Birmingham, um, if I'd been from, from yeah, yeah. Scotland. <laughs> no, 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 that is very. Anyway, never mind. Uh, he asked he asked if I wanted to go to Birmingham. It's it's not a million miles away from from uh, my neck of the woods. And I, and I said yes. And what I was expecting was a bit of a white glove gig of like show up, press record, sit there messing about on my phone for a couple of hours, press stop, press save, job done. It's basically, you, what you happened? Haven't me before, have you? <laughs> That's pretty much how it went. <laughs> yeah, no, give it or was, take. Uh, no, it was um, it was very interesting just because um, it's I know it's a while since I've done a thing like that, but I mean anyone who's done these kind of things will, will know. I mean, basically, usually um, uh, on a good gig, the most stressful part's the journey <laughs> and just getting there on time. And once you're there on time, it's like yeah, it's easy, it's it's fine. You turn up, find out where you are, ingratiate yourself with the house crew. Um, you should be good. Um, the the everything was kind of looking okay, actually. I mean, we all got there at the right kind of time. There was enormous amounts of equipment, but it was James, so you know, I wasn't too surprised by this. And everything was looking great, and I was kind of busy worrying about exactly which way to put this particular XLR on stage or some kind of like minor thing. And James came up looking looking slightly concerned about stuff. And I was like, oh, have you got any longer leads? And he said, yeah, never mind about that. Have you brought your eye lock? And I thought, you what? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, a bit of a crash course in, in, in Studio One, but we got there, actually, which does, does actually tie into a, in, in part into a, a question that we've got coming up later, actually. But... Generally speaking, everything should have been okay, but and this isn't James's fault, or as far as I know, it isn't James's fault because James's computer had many, many issues that day, um, and basically, James refers to the, uh, the 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 fact that Focusrite support were fantastic on the day because we really needed their help because I don't know what on earth was going on, but for some reason there are, um, well, fault diagnosis. Um, obviously, these things are always much more difficult in a, in a live environment when you're, you know, on site and mm. up against the clock. And things that should ordinarily be simple for some reason just are never simple. And annoyingly, say to, to defend myself in out of my own corner just for a oh. moment, 
I had built this rig entirely the day before, minus one piece of kit that I didn't have. Um, it all worked beautifully in the studio. Yeah. Onto the diagnosis thing, and this is what's. <laughs> and no, this isn't. This isn't put the boot in on James because you know it's absolutely not. Um, the thing that made it so difficult, and this is one of those things that I just think, yeah, actually, what are the chances of that is um, diagnosing issues? Um, we all know how they work. It's it's look at it, figure out what you can from what you're seeing of kind of like localizing where the issue might be. Which is which is pretty straightforward with kind of you know cabling issues and stuff. But if a computer is involved, obviously there's an extra layer of complexity. And then you change one thing at a time until you figure out what it is. This works perfectly if you have one issue. But what we had on this was we had two simultaneous issues, and that makes it really difficult. Just because what what was going on is that there are background processes, as we understand, that happen on on computers, and um, there were two background processes neither of which were running and that made it very difficult to figure out what was going on because uh rednet control wasn't seeing the uh the rednet hardware because of a background process and um uh dante controller wasn't seeing the network because of a background process that wasn't running now i don't know if these things are linked or whatever but this was the thing that that Focusrite support had never seen before. They, after various bits of remoting in, they're going, wow, that's that's new. I think they were going getting some of the guys in support saying, look at this. <laughs> you know, I was saying, yeah, can we hurry up, please? We've got the... Hmm. But anyway, once that was sorted, the other stuff was just kind of like humdrum stuff. But it's this thing, and it's, it is one of those things that's kind of like... I'm trying to think of another example where I've had two simultaneous issues, both of which were complete showstoppers. Because we were very close to pressing the button on that rig and just going we were, with yeah. the complete B, plan B, it'll get the job done, but at least we know it'll work kind of. And, and again, we had a plan B rig with us that, mm. again, had been tested the day before because uh, this is me and we have access to some great toys from some great partners. And I thought, well, you know what? Let's use this piece for some Pro Tools Expert content as well. And there's some more stuff coming. We've already put a couple of pieces out. Um, so I wanted to, you know, I wanted to try and use this stuff in the way that it is designed to be used. Um, and it did potentially jump out and bite us again. The guys at focus, if it had been a Saturday afternoon gig, we would have been going to plan B. <laughs> it's but true. Fortunately, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, it was a Friday. So we, we were, we were golden and say once again, Shout out to the guys at Focusrite Support. Uh, thank you so much. You know who you are. <laughs> but, you know, we had a, a, it was a very, it was a complicated system because of all the other things we, we were trying to interface with. We weren't just dealing with our own um, closed circuit recording system. We were trying to feed into the front of house for PA and stuff like that. Um it was an interesting challenge. And the one thing I do like about live is it is an in- it's always an interesting challenge. When you turn up and say it is a white glove job and you just turn up and just, uh, you know, everything's sweet. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. It is nice when you don't spend a good couple of hours sweating a little bit. Um, but you don't, you don't get very much from the experience. You're quite right. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, and certainly I learned a lot from doing that gig. And having now mixed it and put that gig together from both a video and audio point of view, I, I'm really pleased with how it came out. It does sound good. And I was surprised by your, because I mean, I was, 
It's it's always interesting comparing what you're hearing in the room and monitoring stuff off cams in the room compared to uh, uh, what you hear, you know, um, away from the event just because i mean obviously on a sort of like rock and roll show it's very difficult to get any isolation in the room at all but that wasn't a a high volume gig i mean seriously but just listen to what was going on and i really liked um quick very quickly we should probably run over the uh the stuff there was um there was a stereo pair at the back there was uh, a pair over the conductor and an ambio mic which is kind of like a side uh, a, a little sort of side project and then there was some uh Spot mics, uh, Audio Technica, six across the front, and then four, some up- four across, four across, kind of midway, midway, middle of the back of the stage, oh, yeah. and then two raised up in the air for the. That's it. Yeah. Um, so six in total, plus rears, plus yeah. spot mics on piano and violin and some other bits and bobs. But I was I was listening to the uh, to the spot mics, and I thought that that was what was going to end up being favoured in the in the mixed version. I thought they sounded lovely. They'd got lots of detail and, you know, and just nice and present and, and enough room on them. And that and a little bit, I mean, you weren't lacking ambience in that big, big venue. And you ended up going a completely different choice, didn't you? You were mostly the conductor pair? Mostly the conductor, between the conductor pair and the stereo room mic at the back of the hall, that was that was most of the heavy lifting done by those two mics, or that that a pair and the, the stereo mic at the back. The uh, obviously in the video we've put up the, the short excerpt we've put up, it's the massed choir piece because that's the impressive one. Um, throughout the concert, there were various different sizes of ensemble. I think the smallest was about twelve singers. Um, so those audio technicas that were up, you know, up well above head height, uh, and on the second row, if you like, of, of the choir area, they were behind the performers. So I didn't see much point in bringing them in. Um, interestingly, the Ambio mic sounds great. I mean, it, it really does sound good. We haven't done anything with that yet. But we also had a 360 camera up as well. So between the conductor and the choir. And I've seen some of that footage and I'm just like, this is cool. I mean, it's <laughs> it's not what what it's designed for or anything like but it's very very interesting to be able to swirl around and see the audience and the conductor mm. and um then sort of scroll back and see the the performers it's brilliant so Alan, um how many how many cameras were on that gig 10 or something was it, it was a huge number of cameras it was we had it. we had a, a whole assortment of DSLRs camcorders gopros um kurt who was you know is, is a, a buddy from um cheerleading when i do that um He's got like a steady cam, like a GoPro steady cam rig thing, which is very cool. So a lot of the kind of the the, the stuff that looks like it's done by a drone is actually done on a handheld GoPro steady cam thing, which is very cool. But I think yeah, between nine and ten cameras up running all the way through the performance. Okay, so we're talking nine or ten cameras and however many tracks we ended up. It was it was something. It was around sixteen, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, 16, yeah. 17. So all of that lot, um, Alan. If you were receiving that sight unseen. In terms of deliverables, a non-time code job as well. Um, any specifics that someone who hasn't done this kind of work before and is going to work with somebody like you, for example, any any kind of like potted potted requests that you'd put put out for that kind of um, that kind yeah, of output? Don't, don't um, drop anything from giving. To, yeah, give me absolutely everything that was captured. Because you, you never know when it's going to come in useful, when it's going to be needed, and what have you. Because when you're mixing music for picture, 
slightly different rules apply with than just you know, mixing it without picture because your attention, you know, when you have a close up on certain performers, you may want to. Um, how's the way I've heard it described? Enhance the viewer experience by maybe slightly pushing that solo artist you're seeing. It's not a faithful reproduction of the event because that would be just to have the, uh, you know, the stereo pair of the mm. conductor and the room mics up all the time because then you'd be hearing what the audience heard. So you had to take a um, a decision how you're going to play it, really. So you're saying so you, you like either... direct the listener's attention with... with Absolutely, yeah. So you have to decide whether you are presenting it as a faithful reproduction of the experience or whether you're presenting it as um, a viewer experience that's different to what the audience is seeing. So in, in terms of the 360 camera, certainly that's a very different view to what any member of the audience would ever get. I mean, um, at the recent Orbital gig I saw on the TV, they had 360 cameras up on the up by the performers. So that that must have been quite um, bizarre to see. And that would be quite fun to see because you'd probably be able to look down and actually see whether they're actually doing anything on the mixing desks or not. <laughs> um, so the... Uh, yeah, I mean, th- th- that's that's the way that really differs when you're doing sound for picture. I mean, I don't know if, James, what your um, decision was, which way you wanted to play it. I mean, were you? Pre- I, it, I, it sounds like you were presenting it as um, a, a faithful reproduction of the audience's experience right then. Uh, it would be really uh, yeah, fun I to... So. I, think, I, I mean, I was certainly going to... Um, Although we did give the front of house team, who were, again, who definitely deserve um, a mention in this, the tech team at Birmingham Town Hall were brilliant that day. They were absolutely fantastic. Uh, again, above and beyond. Um, it, certainly a great bunch of guys, great job done. Um, we were providing... I said, there's no point in putting four microphones on the piano. There's no point in putting extra mm-hmm. microphones up for for voiceover and for you know the voice of God and all that sort of stuff. Let's feed it all through our rig and take a split because we had the Ferrofish um, A32 Dante splitter, which we we're using. Um, and we gave them direct feeds of the piano and of the violin mic and of the voiceover. And I think in the end the acoustics in the hall were good enough to not need to reproduce the violin or the um, piano. Obviously, the the offstage VOG was used through the PA, and I think you know, I think it's only used at one point in the whole performance, but um, we didn't know that at the time, you know. Right. Um, the other thing I would also say to this normally is, before I get back to your point, Alan, is that normally um, you would record the rehearsal in the afternoon, the sound check, whatever. Absolutely. But because they were moving 200 young people, and by that I mean from, I think the youngest were sort of seven, eight, nine, up to very early 20s or late teens, early 20s, there wasn't the facility to have a full run-through of the performance. Now, that as it turned out, we wouldn't have been ready anyway, just because of... I normally, if someone says the call time is eight, I want to be there at seven. Uh, in this case, the call time was 11 and we were arriving at the same time as 200 kids. It wasn't ideal, but 
you know, we got through it. The recording sounds really good. It's certainly some of the best live recording work in this genre I've ever done or, bit, you know, had a, a hand in. Um, from a mix point of view, yes, I was trying to give a faithful repre- representation of the performance. Hmm. Um, because we had the video as well, yes, there was the opportunity uh, in the final piece, Everyday Wonders, uh, featured violin. So there was the opportunity to bring that out and actually make it really quite present in the mix. Um, and I think it worked for that. But, you know, it's a dynamic performance. It's not just, it's not down to, the level changes weren't down to me. To be totally honest, it was pretty much a static no, mix. Sure. And the performance controlled the volume, which is great for that style, classical music generally. Um, well, that's what the conductor's for. Exactly. Um, or in this case, three different conductors throughout the performance. But... Um, yeah, it was it was great. It was actually really easy to put together because you know we had good mics in the right place and the levels were set well and it was good. And I, I should think. mention actually, this is a few weeks ago. My find of the week was the Neumann app. Yep, and that got used on these on those stereo pairs because it's it's so nice to have a, you're setting a stereo array, choosing your, your configuration, and you're pointing it at something that's. 140 degrees wide from your point of view that's you mm. know that that's that's bigger than a drum kit you know and that was really and yeah that's uh they they clearly they clearly worked all right because uh because uh you know the, the results are there but yeah being able to do a near coincident pair with the with uh the acceptance angle done according to the numbers rather than just kind of roughed out like we all tend to do and often get wrong actually with uh with uh near coincident yeah it was it was a really good example of that in use anyway so again um there'll be some more stuff to follow on this one there's um certainly a lot of um other content that we have to share with you about this particular performance but let's bury this one for now uh, and move on to our exponential audio podcast exclusive deal at this point i want there to be a sting but there isn't one is there so i'm just going to have to say As we mentioned at the top of the show, we have an exclusive special offer just for you, our podcast listeners. In a moment, we're going to read out our special URL, so get a pen and paper ready. At the moment, Michael from Exponential Audio is offering Nimbus Stereo Reverb for $139.90 instead of $199. But these offers are for a very short period, usually around a week. So go to the Exponential Audio website homepage, just add a forward slash, if there isn't one already there, and type P-T-E special, all in lowercase, all one word, all lowercase, into the browser URL field. Then click on the Buy Now button, and the following instruction will get you the special offer price from Exponential Audio. So that's exponentialaudio.com forward slash P-T-E special. This URL will not be in the podcast notes, so make sure you take a note of it the old-fashioned way now. So let's move on to some feedback from the community. Dave Raitt has uh, written in and says, Greetings, PTEs. Just thought that I'd let you know that following your recent Digio 3 love fest, I picked one up on a well-known auction site for £150. Apart from the nice people at Parcel Fast using it for gold practice and damaging the front corner, oh. it is working just fine, and even the master volume pot isn't noisy. I hooked it up to my MacBook Pro running PT12, and it works like a charm, just like you said it would. You lot really are Pro Tools experts. Thanks again for the tip. 
Uh, Dave, as we always say, we are not the experts, but as a community together, we can be experts. There you go. There's the corporate flag waved. Um, <laughs> we've probably got time for a couple of quick questions uh, from the community, and these are sponsored by RSPE Audio. The Pro Tools Expert Community Feedback is brought to you with the kind support of RSPE Audio Solutions. Great people and great prices. RSPE will be at Sony Picture Studios for Mix Magazine Sound for Film on Saturday, October the 13th. If you're attending the event, stop by the RSPE audio booth and find out why they've become the premier source for Dolby Atmos systems in Los Angeles. Check out the link in the podcast notes for more details. And for any of you from Los Angeles, he meant Dolby Atmos. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in trouble for that one already. Um, Okay, let's... Let's dive in with this one. I think, Julian, this one's for you. Uh, Lisa Hooper would like some help setting up outputs from a virtual sound check in Studio One. She asked, I found your website and video tutorials by searching for some help in setting up outputs in Studio One. I'm using a Midas Pro 2C soundboard recording into Studio One using a DN9650, Network Bridge, and Dante VSC, virtual sound card, I think. Uh, I'm receiving my tracks and recording just fine. I can play back my tracks just fine, but into my soundboard to the mains. However, I cannot figure out how to route the outputs back per channel for a virtual sound check. I can't even get outputs routed to see the music coming from output subgroups in Studio One, only the mains. I am very new to all this, but if you could help me figure it out, I'd be very grateful. So thanks very much. Right. um, I did. uh, I contacted Lisa about this. I emailed her last week uh, when this came through to us. Um, I'm going to pretty much repeat what I said. It's a difficult one to support remotely just because the way to get help with this is to have someone stood with you and to snag the issues as you go, because potentially there's a lot that can be in the way. Um, That's some nice gear. Uh, I mean, a Midas Pro 2 uh, and and anything by Clark Technic is just kind of, you know, that's some quality gear. And you say you're new to it, which makes me wonder um, uh, whether or not it's your equipment. Um, I'm I'm going to assume that it's not because it's it's some some very pro equipment. And if you're new to it, then that's, you know, that's not beginner gear. So is there anybody um, there who can help you with the rig? If there is an assume, I'm thinking if it's kind of, you know, belongs to a venue that you're working with or or something, they can help you with that part. That just leaves the Studio One. What I'm imagining is that uh, you've arrived and you want to bring your copy of Studio One to a rig and someone knows how to run it. Um, in Studio One, go to Song Setup. You can set up the I.O. in there. Uh, I.O. as an input-output. You can. What I suggest you do is clear it out, delete everything, and just create what you need and just create one-to-one patches for what you need for Virtual Sound Card. Virtual Sound Card, I mean, you just launch Virtual Sound Card, launch Dante, uh, Dante Controller, and as long as everything's running on the same, uh, the same sample rate, everything on the on the uh, Dante network, you should be good. 
there should only be two things there. Useful terminology here is, is transmitter and receiver. Don't think about inputs and outputs in Dante because that can get a little bit confusing. Talk about transmitters and receivers, what you're listening to and what's making the noise onto the network. And just patch stuff one-to-one so that you've got as many inputs and outputs as you have channels you want to use. And that's as much as I can kind of really say from here just because it's a, it's a big ask. But, yeah, get some help with the hardware because um, there's there's lots of stuff that can happen there. Get it all rigged up right, and then as goes the software, it really shouldn't be that hard uh, to do a virtual virtual sound check. Obviously, you need an input and an output, one to record and one to play back, and uh, that's as far as I can go with it from here. It sounds I'd I'd love to <laughs> I'd love to actually set it up because it sounds like a, a great rig, but unfortunately, that's not something I can do from here. So that's as much as I've got, Lisa. Miro Marcus has been in touch and says, Hi guys, I have a question. I still have a very early Pro Tools 7.3 HD license and would want to get back into Pro Tools for some tasks. Do you have any idea how I can upgrade this license to a fully functional Pro Tools native so that it works without hardware but without any track limitations? Good luck on that one. For a reasonable price to buy, not for monthly rent. I'm on Mac. Hi, Sierra. Thanks. Alan? Well, yeah, I mean, um, you could do an awful lot worse than... To seek out your nearest tame dealer and uh if you, you know, look at our banner ads on the site there's some very good dealers there amongst those as well and you can use your uh the what the ubiquitous search engine to um to, to find them as well the they'll i'm sure they would be able to help you and in terms of upgrading so that works without hardware but without any track limitations etc native ultimate is limited to 256 tracks, but it doesn't have any bus uh, limitations. Uh, and in fact, in terms of track count, it would still be higher than your original HD. So, uh, and now all versions of Pro Tools can work without avid hardware. Uh, the only thing that you are limited by when you go to a native system is your IO count and um, your overall track count. But then again, as we just said, it's still an upgrade from from what you're doing. There's great bargains to be had from many very good dealers. So my my best advice is go out there, ask the question. If you don't ask, you don't get. See what you can land. Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser. No software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Right, chaps, I'm in the chair, so I'm going to do it anyway. It's time for Find of the Week. You do know that Julian's not going to put an effect on that, don't you? One day he won't, I know. I I don't (laughs) care. That's why I do the whole kind of long (laughs) virtual reverb tail thing. I don't care. It amuses me on a Monday evening. Hi, you're listening to the Pro Tools Expert Podcast Find of the Week, proudly sponsored by Synchro Arts. 
Synchro Arts are proud to announce the release of Revoice Pro 4, the ultimate toolbox for timing and pitch adjustment, containing over 70 new features and improvements to sonic output, workflow, and performance. Revoice Pro 4 can save you hours of editing time in the studio, ensure high production values, and help you achieve your creative vision. Get a 14-day trial over at SynchroArts.com today and take advantage of the 20% off introductory pricing on all new licenses and upgrades. So, chaps, find of the week, uh, Julian. Biome. Uh, new from Unfiltered Audio. I did a video about it and got to know it, and I really like it. It stands for Build Your Own Modular Effects, and it does kind of like CV-style modulation with kind of uh, patch chords between uh, modules, and you can make wild and wacky self-generating patches if you want to. But the thing I like about it is it also it just sounds really good, and I was using it for pretty basic mixing tasks. It's got everything... I think really apart from uh, apart from a really comprehensive EQ, it's got a three band EQ and nothing more. But honestly, I doubt I'd use it for EQ. But anything else at all, it's got some wild reverbs in it, and you can modulate anything and everything, including other modulators. So yeah, it's great. Very cool. Excellent, Alan. I think we can guess what yours is. Yeah, it's my new premises. So we already talked about it somewhat in length, but um, yeah, I mean. I, I really can't recommend highly enough having your workspace away from the, your other life stresses uh, or yeah, influencing factors. So, you know, I think there's there's definitely something to be gained from having physical space between your life space and your workspace. Um, and certainly this is going to definitely very much transform the situation that I've been going through for the last uh, nearly a year now, actually. But um, so now it's uh, it's all coming into place. Um, I've still got 16 episodes of a Sky series to mix, so I better get this up and running uh, pretty damn quickly. Very cool. Very excited to see the photos of that as it develops. Mm-hmm. And what about you, James? What's yours? You're all expecting some uber-expensive <laughs> piece of hardware, aren't you? Well, this week you'd be right. <laughs> um <laughs> So um, the guys at Casbar Systems sent me a two-channel preamp called, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Kahayan, sorry if I've totally butchered that one, Uh, 12K72 preamp. This thing looks awesome. Now from the website, that's about as far as I've got thus far, all their stuff looks very guitar player focused. Now I didn't think you could make a preamp that was particularly focused in one direction, but... A lot of their people who are saying nice things about the stuff are guitar players and studio owners, so I'm really looking forward to trying this one out. So, review to follow, and I'm going to try and pronounce it again. I'm going to go with Cahayan, I think. So it's Spanish, um, isn't it? I don't know. I haven't got that far through the through digging digging through their site yet, but um, very interesting. It's beautifully well built. Um, so, yeah, review to follow. And on that moment of hardware madness, it's time to pull up sticks for another day so it's good night from me it's good night from me and it's good night from me good night